live from the Poly Market Studio in LA. It's the Young Turks. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. But like the chances of the United States will not be pulled into a wider war in the Middle East. That was a long one. I'm Johnny DeRola today on the Young Turks Power Panel. We are joined by two awesome people who have been specifically chosen for their views on politics and also their ability to speak to the rise of AI and comedy, which we'll be getting to <laughs> later on in the show. First of all, Trey, great to have you on. We recently talked on TDR, great to uh -huh. have you here as well, thank you. Yeah, thanks, me, me and my mustache, glad to be here today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you, you brought along Hello, a plus mustache. one. I did, yeah, my plus one, that's right. Great to have you here. <laughs> and Francesca Fiorentini as well, Francesca, thank you for being here. Yeah, so good to be here, happy Friday, although we're gonna get into serious, I feel like we're getting yeah. into serious stuff. Mm -hmm. Kind of, it's on like that side of the line of serious. Um, your invocation of a happy Friday is the last happiness that we will have for some time. That's not entirely true, there's a little bit of good news. Uh, Donald Trump owes hundreds of thousands of dollars to journalists, which is just a great sentence. I wish I could say it all the time. And I do think that our talk about the future perhaps of comedy and AI should be interesting. But that said, there's chaos going on in the world, everyone. And so with with no no else, no other prelude, we do need to get into it, take stock of the state of the world. So why don't we do that starting with this? Israel's efforts both to mitigate harm when conducting operations, as well as its efforts to alleviate suffering through humanitarian activities have gone relatively unnoticed and dispel or at the very least mitigate against any allegation of genocidal intent. You saw there just part of hours of the defense that Israel provided against charges of genocidal intent before the International Court of Justice. Yesterday, we had South Africa pleading its case. Today, the response from Israel, and we're gonna dive into it. Understand that there are, you could watch the entire thing if you want. It is available, it's hours long, so buckle up. But the the main tactic largely that Israel sought to defend itself was very similar to the way that Israeli government and military, military officials been talking about the conflict since October 7th, basically focusing less on what the IDF has done or the deaths of civilians, the destruction of infrastructure, and more on what was done by Hamas on October 7th. You're gonna see an example of that in this clip. Johnny Simantov, a wheat farmer, and his wife Tamar, an activist for women's rights, lived in kibbutz near Oz. When the rocket fire started, they hid in the safe room with their four-year-old son, Omer, and their six-year-old twins, Arbel and Shachar. During their rampage, Hamas militants set fire to their house. Johnny texted his sister, Renee, they're here, they're burning us, we're suffocating. The whole family was burned alive to ashes making DNA identification especially difficult. A survivor of the Nova Music Festival massacre 
testified to police to witnessing a Hamas militant brutally raping a young woman as another militant cut off her breast and toyed with it. So stories like that are absolutely horrific. I cannot imagine that happening. And of course, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories exactly like that. But they have been presented. This is of course not new evidence. We've known of these horrors for some months. And of course, if one is going to make the case that the horrors that were inflicted on Israelis on October 7th is a defense against the charges of genocide in the months since, then one would have to do that and that has not been presented. It is simply a presentation of other horrors that were inflicted that do not provide a moral justification if what is being claimed is that Israel is pursuing genocide, which is the case that South Africa is making. Now, that was not the only defense bringing up what Hamas has done that, that the Israeli defense provided here. You also have a sort of counter accusation against both Hamas and South Africa that they are the ones with genocidal intent against Israel. The attack on Israel on the 7th of October was qualitatively different from all that went before. The truth is, that if there has been any genocidal activity in this situation, it was the events of 7th of October. As South Africa has pointed out, complicity in genocide is in play. States that supported, condoned, praised or glorified the events of the 7th of October, both at the time and later, stand guilty of a violation of Article 3E of the Convention as being complicit in genocide and indeed of the duty to prevent genocide under Article 1. And as the agent has pointed out, South Africa has given succor and support to Hamas, at the least. It is a matter of public record that South Africa enjoys close relations with Hamas, despite its formal recognition as a terrorist organization by numerous states across the world. These relations have continued unabated even after the October 7th atrocities. South Africa has long hosted and celebrated its ties with Hamas figures, including a senior Hamas delegation that incredibly visited the country for a quote, solidarity gathering just weeks after the massacre. So they made reference there to a longstanding history between South Africa and Hamas, in particular focusing on the fact that there was a delegation of senior Hamas figures who participated in the fifth global convention of solidarity with Palestine, which was held in South Africa. Which certainly doesn't look good if you were having members of this group who just you know less than a couple of months ago engaged in these absolutely barbaric acts. That doesn't look good for your state, now South Africa has defended themselves against those claims. Um, Obed Bapella, the deputy chairperson of the ANC National Executive Committee Subcommittee on International Relations told reporters that it was important to share South Africa's struggle and engage with all parties. Uh, and said, we haven't declared Hamas a terrorist organization in South Africa, so we're free to engage with everybody and every organization in Palestine. Which that doesn't seem like much of a defense to me. I mean, the counter argument would be you should label them a terrorist organization, if not before October 7th, certainly after October 7th. They, they do say that South Africa has not condoned the acts of October 7th and official statements from the state, they have condemned them. And said while the ANC didn't condone violence, any persons oppressed anywhere in the world, they've got the right to take any means available for them to liberate themselves. If it means violence meted against those oppressing others, let it be, we've been through it ourselves, but always leave space for negotiations. Again, I don't think that that's going to help public perceptions of the relationship between South Africa and Hamas, considering what was done on October 7th. But again, all you are perhaps pointing out here is that South Africa is morally in the wrong as well. It doesn't just cancel out the claims that are being made about the way that the IDF and the Israeli government is prosecuting this war. So this seems at worst to be merely distraction. At best, it makes other people and organizations look bad, but it isn't actually a defense against the claims that are being made. And we'll get more into those claims and the evidence for them. But Francesca, I wanna start with you. What do you think about Israel's defense of itself before the ICJ? 
I mean, I think it's exactly what you said. It's a massive distraction. It's a whataboutism. It's like, uh, but, but, but what about Hamas? Have you condemned Hamas? It has no actual bearing on the evidence that was provided by the South African lawyers on whether there was mass killing, whether there is mass killing, whether there is a destruction of healthcare systems. I'm going through their points. Forced displacement, food blockades, bodily and mental harm, and preventing Palestinian births, all of which support genocidal intent and actual crimes of genocide that South Africa brought. It's basically, oh, you engage with the political wing of Hamas. Let's remember Hamas, whether you like them or think that, yeah, they have terroristic elements, there are two elements. There is a militant wing, there is a political wing, right? That's just how it works. I'm not condoning it at all, but that is that's how it works. The other thing is South Africa has a longstanding relationship, not with Hamas, with the Palestinian people, Nelson Mandela in the struggle for freedom against apartheid in South Africa said that our freedom is linked to the freedom of the Palestinian people. Why? Because they understood then as we understand now that the Palestinians in the West Bank and in Gaza live under occupation. They live without their full freedoms. They live without ability to access land, water, sea, control their own electricity, control their own healthcare systems. Final point here, if what Israel is doing, which is basically saying, I'm not the genocider, you are. I know you are, but what am I? Which is literally their entire defense. Then they should bring Palestine to the ICJ. Oh, wait a minute, Palestine doesn't exist. In, in fact, instead, it's occupied territories that you control that you are now raining terror and murder upon. So that's what's actually happening. So in effect, this is all kind of a show that ultimately reveals that we need a Palestinian state and Palestinians need actual representation. Right. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I kind of alluded to this before we started. Like, I feel a little absurd talking about a topic this serious with this ridiculous thing on my face. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I mean, as a comedian, I don't exactly relish the subject of genocide, comedic goldmine that it is. But uh, so, yeah, I don't know how to. You know, I don't know what to do here. I get weird about about these things that are truly horrific because that's kind of all there is to say about it. I agree with everything Francesca said about the massive whataboutism that is this defense. I agree with that. It's like, but what about what they did? It was real bad too, and that's not a defense like both of you said. Uh, I thought, not to give myself any credit here, but as soon as October 7th happened, you know, and the details came out and whatnot, I was like, well, this is horrible. That warrants a response. There's going to be a response. But I'm also kind of worried that that response is going to be maybe a little over the top and might turn a little genocide at some point just because of, you know, history and things about it, right? And then mm -hmm. now, uh, and I mean, here we are. That's what's happened. I, I'm not down with Hamas or what they did remotely, but I mean, at a certain point, it feels like you should probably rein it in if you're Israel and they just won't, you know, they immediately start with the whataboutism and the, the claims of anti Semitism and all that, and they just won't give any ground at all. On what they're doing over there. And that's, you know, disappointing is not a strong enough word for it, but yeah. Yeah. You know, um, you saw the uh, the British lawyer uh, for Israel there, uh, Malcolm Shaw, saying that the uh, Hamas attack on October seventh was qualitatively different than any prior attack, which it was. It was it was shocking. It shocked the international conscience. Um, but has the the bombing of Gaza not been qualitatively different than than any prior? Attacks from the IDF on Gaza as well, or qualitatively different than October seventh. I mean, look, the case that is being made, without I would say the courage to say it, you're making it, but you don't want to say it, is that because so many people died on October seventh, and because they died in such objectively horrific ways, ways that you like the mind cannot focus on them for too long because they're simply too terrible, that that justifies some number of civilian deaths. And the question that will not be answered is how many? It obviously justified killing as many innocent Palestinians as innocent Israelis died, according to the people who are making the case again without actually stating it. Justified 5,000 deaths, it justified 10,000 civilian deaths. And deaths that are just as horrific, an eight year old being blown to pieces, you know, we may not have the editorials breaking down these individual stories, but they can't be DNA tested either when a building is you know, blown apart with a 2000 pound bomb and your entire family has been crushed and cannot be recovered. Like 
That is horror too. How mm -hmm. many does it just does it justify 50,000 civilians dying? Does it justify 250,000 civilians dying? Where is the line drawn where the the horror calculus that is being done behind the scenes no longer makes sense? Mm -hmm. And that you simply cannot get an answer to that. Just more. We know it justifies more. A thousand this week, a thousand the week after. You know, maybe things will improve a little bit, maybe they'll get a little bit worse, but Tons and tons and tons more people. And it just, it seems ridiculous that you can make that case without even having the courage to say, I don't care how many. It really doesn't matter after because of what happened. That's what, what fundamentally bothers me. Any, any quick response before we move on to other parts of what's happening at the ICJ? I mean, the stories that they're recounting on an international stage, South Africa would recount um, and go, and we could just have a contest and we could name, you know, oh, here is a mentally disabled child mourning his mother who's just been gunned down and just died under the rubble. Oh, here is a baby who has his face intact, but his brain has been completely hollowed out. Like, let's keep going. Let's go and see who ends last. Like, is that the game that Israel wants to play? Because my guess is Palestinians are gonna win that game just this week, right? Four Red Crescent workers, hospital workers, were in an ambulance with two patients trying to escape, trying to leave, trying to flee. They were aerially struck by Israel. So we can play this game and Israel clearly wants to play it and they're gonna be losing. Last thing I'm gonna say on this is they're scared. Israel is absolutely scared of South Africa bringing this case against them. That's why they showed up. They don't bother to show up to a lot of these international hearings. They don't care when it comes to flaunting international law. They've done it time and time again. Their occupation is illegal. They're scared because economically, they don't want powerhouses like South Africa, like Brazil to blockade them. They're scared of boycott. They're scared of divestment. They're scared of sanctions. And that is hopefully what is to come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll just keep it simple. You know, I don't. Uh... Personally, I don't like it when uh, civilians are wantonly murdered like this. And I think that, like you said, there should be an end to it. And right now, it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight. And that makes it untenable to me. So, you know, yeah. got to figure something out at some point. Well, why don't we jump into a little bit more of what was presented by the Israeli defense. Lawyers for Israel at the ICJ took particular issue with the fact that South Africa in their presentation focused on statements that Israeli officials had made that hinted at what they considered to be genocidal intent. Here is the lawyer for Israel talking about that. To produce random quotes that are not in conformity with government policy produced as describing is misleading at best. Such as the statement by the Minister of Heritage, for example, who is completely outside the policy and decision-making process in the war. Okay, um, so the issue there is being presented as these statements are not admissible or can't be said to get to the frame of mind of the Israeli government because they're being made by people who are no longer in power except that they are not all being made by people who are no longer in power. Some of the quotes that South Africa used are people who are still very close to power. So we're gonna go to a few of those. So first of all, here is an example from Israeli President Isaac Herzog. It's an entire nation out there that is responsible. It's not true, this rhetoric about civilians not aware, not, aware, not involved, it's absolutely not true. They could have risen up, they could have fought against that evil regime which took over Gaza in a coup d'etat. But we're at war. We are at war. We're at war with at our, we are defending our homes. We're protecting our homes. That's the truth. And then when a nation protects its home, it fights. And we will fight until we break their backbone. Okay. Uh, every Palestinian is responsible all of them for what was done 
and for the fact that they did not cast the shackles of Hamas off of them. So to you know, maybe the parents of an eight year old who was blown apart by an Israeli bomb, your eight year old should have done something about Hamas. They really should have overthrown that organization. That is what the Israeli president said, not someone who served as Secretary of Agriculture back in the 90s, the Israeli president. Here is Israel's defense minister, Yoav Gallant. This is on October 9th. For those who are listening to the podcast, the translation of that is, we are imposing a complete siege on the city of Gaza. There will be no electricity, no food, no water, no fuel, everything is closed. We are fighting human animals and we are acting accordingly. Several days later, this is on October 13th, he said, Gaza won't return to what it was before. We will eliminate everything. That is the defense minister for Israel, not in the 70s, right now. So again, look, in addition to all of the facts on the ground of what has been done, and much of it was presented by South Africa, over 23,000 dead, two thirds of them women and children. 4% of Gaza's population has died. A measurable percentage of the entire population has already died. A far, far, far higher percentage has been driven from their homes, homes that are now destroyed and there's nothing to be to return to. 70% of the infrastructure of Gaza has been destroyed. More journalists have been killed in Gaza than any other war over the last century. There isn't a hospital in Gaza that has not been struck by attacks. This is not an accidental bombing of one thing that the international community is focusing on. Every single hospital has been struck. And as you were pointing out, Francesca, not only journalists are being killed, but international aid workers and medical professionals are being killed in large numbers as well. And the like, the moral and rhetorical defense for that is being made, not just by people who are on the extreme fringe of Israeli government or past governments, but by people who hold power right now. People involved explicitly with the defense of Israel saying this, mm-hmm. Francesca? No, 100%. And I think one of the most memorable and chilling moments from what South Africa presented was that those comments that are made by the president, by Benjamin Netanyahu, prime minister, saying things like, you know, the Amalek, you know, invoking this biblical reference to a people that must be destroyed, that hurt you, so you must root out their seed and whatnot. That that was then echoed in chants by IDF soldiers on the ground. As they are relishing in, there are no innocent civilians. We will destroy the seed of Amalek. In other words, and one of the points that South Africa makes is also when you're trying to kill future generations, you are engaging in genocide and leaving newborn babies to die, depriving them of their incubators and the electricity they need to survive. I mean, these are genocidal war crimes. Right, That is what they set out to prove and they did it. So it doesn't matter all the PR, it doesn't matter Oh, but Hamas, oh, but this, oh, but. And by the way, a lot of the atrocities that yes, there were atrocities on October 7th. A lot of the atrocities have now been proven to have not, some of them didn't happen. There weren't babies slaughtered and beheaded, that just didn't happen. There was a pregnant woman taken hostage, there wasn't a baby slaughtered, that just didn't happen. So again, like, this this game of smoke and mirrors continues and yet South Africa is staying the course and saying, here is our evidence. Your own soldiers, your own leaders are showing it to say nothing of your actual actions. Yeah, I mean, you know, all talk about like, we're gonna continue until their backs are broken. It's like, well, when are, when are you gonna be satisfied that that has happened? You know what I mean? And then right <laughs> after that, talk about like, oh, we've gotten rid of everything. No water, no fuel, no electricity, none of that. And then just this rhetoric, you call them animals and talking about eliminating everything. Like, it doesn't not sound genocide you know what I mean? And like they, it's like they're like, well, we got to keep going till we root out all this extremism. But like, of course, this is going to just create more extremism. It's a never ending feedback loop, right? So, like, what is the end goal then? Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't it just, when is it ever going to stop? 
when they're all gone, because there's a word for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like, if that's not what the end goal is, then what is it? It kind of, I don't know if this, make, maybe this is a reach, but it kind of reminds me about as an American, when I have arguments with conservatives about like, they say that no taxpayer dollars should be used to pay for like poor people's health care or, or food stamps or any of that type of thing. And then you ask them like, so you think we should just allow poor people to die then? That's what should happen. And they'll all be like, no, no, of course not. I'm not saying that. It's like, well, what are you saying then? Because there's only, uh, that's the only way that yes. that can go, right? There's they should like two die, things. but I don't want to hear about it, Trey. It's, it's like, no, it's I like, don't want to say it. Right. Exactly. It, it, this feels like a similar scenario to me. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like there's really only one like tenable result for Israel here. And it seems like genocide, but they're not going to, but they're never going to acknowledge or admit yeah. to that. You know what I'm saying? So, well, and, and in addition to the quotes that we've provided about, you know, the willingness to just have all of the buildings be destroyed, the people wiped out. There's also, and you know, TYT and other shows in the network, including TDR, have talked recently about the increasing talk about just forced movement, voluntary immigration, or voluntary insofar as there is nothing there anymore. So, hey, you've been bombed to the border with Egypt. Maybe you just keep heading in that direction. That's what it's right. feeling like. Um, and we will see. Um, there, look, there's obviously a lot more that can be said about this. I'm going to end with, if we could go ahead to our last video and get to one of, I think, the more ludicrous arguments that was made was that uh, many of the buildings that are uh, falling apart aren't, aren't falling as a, uh, falling apart as a result of bombing. It's actually something else. Take a look at this. Damage to civilian structures is another fact claimed by South Africa as evidence of genocide. But South Africa does not consider the sheer extent to which Hamas uses ostensibly civilian structures for military purposes. Houses, schools, mosques, UN facilities and shelters are all abused for military purposes by Hamas, including as rocket launching sites. Hundreds of kilometers of tunnels dug by Hamas under populated areas in Gaza often cause structures above to collapse. And that last, much of that we've heard a million times over. You can strike literally anywhere you want because Hamas has used it, which I'm sure in many cases is true. But isn't that an amazing get out of jail free card to commit horrific acts that now every schools, hospitals, they're all fair targets. But they went, that lawyer went beyond that to say, uh, the ground is dug out behind the building, but be under the buildings. That causes them to collapse. The fact that a bomb was dropped in the building is a coincidence. It's neither here nor there. No, it's just that the ground was unstable because there were so many tunnels underneath it. Like we we know the state of infrastructure in Gaza. We know what it looks like there. The idea that the chief problem is not one of the most concentrated bombing campaigns that the earth has seen since World War II. It's that the ground is riddled with tunnels seems insulting. Quick final thoughts before before we go to break, Francesca. Yeah, 2,000 pound bombs, guys, 2,000 pound bombs. Oh, I'm sorry that their infrastructure can't withstand that. No, this is what you're trying, you are trying to wipe Gazans off the map and Gaza off the map. And it is going to be, it's very fun. It's a fun exercise to see how Israel tries to defend itself. But I just wanna say hats off once again to South Africa, the place that successfully defeated apartheid and then is now leading a charge to stop and defeat apartheid and genocide elsewhere. Thank you. Yeah, I actually I thought about making a trying to make a joke about that earlier about it being appropriate <laughs> that it's South Africa because you know if anybody knows apartheid, but then I thought, but that, but you know that's unironically true, and they do seem qualified <laughs> to talk about this. So, so yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I don't know. I hope it gets better over there soon. I don't know what else to say. I'm sure that's not going to happen. Go ahead, John. <laughs> um, fingers crossed, because every day you know that goes by, more and more people die. Uh, regrettably, and that should be the international goal is to end that. Uh, we don't want to see any more civilians die. I don't want to see Palestinian civilians die. I don't want to see Israeli civilians die. And uh, the path uh, that the region is on is one of just uh, almost mind boggling suffering and destruction. We're going to take a short break, uh, come back with um, somewhat lighter material.
Welcome back, one and all. More big news to get to. Let's jump right into it. Overnight, a stunning barrage by U.S. and British forces. A wave of Tomahawk cruise missiles launched from a U.S. submarine and Navy ships backed by fighter jets. The target, the Iran-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen that have been attacking commercial ships in the critical Red Sea for months now. Yes, yesterday, United States and UK forces with support from Australia, Bahrain, Canada, and the Netherlands launched airstrikes at 16 different locations inside of Yemen. They say in response to the militant attacks on commercial shipping and other ships moving through the Red Sea. There's been a lot of condemnation of this action, condemnation particularly of President Biden getting the United States involved in this without going for congressional authorization. That said, Joe Biden is not backing down. He says he won't hesitate to quote, direct further military action in Yemen if the attacks continue. And on those attacks, there have been at least 27 different Houthi attacks since November. This Tuesday, the US Navy says that they shot down 21 missiles and drones that had been fired. Many of the targets that were struck in the attacks over the last day were said to be missile launching sites and both places where drones were stored and also manufactured. 60 different locations were struck with, they say, 100 precision guided munitions. According to the rebels military spokesperson, five people died and six others were wounded. Which actually seems fairly amazing since 60 different targets were struck. But that's the numbers that are being provided as of right now by the by the militants. And I understand that the day before the attacks, the United Nations Security Council had adopted a resolution demanding that the attacks on the ships end. Now the Houthis had said that the attacks were in retaliation for Israel's ongoing attacks on Gaza. They said that they were targeting vessels that were either owned by Israeli companies or that were traveling to Israel. Some of the ships that were targeted apparently have no affiliation with Israel. And I want to conclude with just a little bit more from what President Biden has said about this, especially considering that there are many, many who are worried that this could result in long-term involvement of the United States in this conflict, which has been raging in Yemen for years at this point, and possibly drawing in other nations in the region. He said, today at my direction, US military forces successfully conducted strikes against a number of targets in Yemen used by Houthi rebels to endanger freedom of navigation in one of the world's most vital waterways. Their attacks have endangered US personnel, civilian mariners, and our partners, jeopardized trade, and threatened freedom of navigation. I will not hesitate to direct further measures to protect our people and the free flow of international commerce as necessary. He put protecting our people before the free flow of commerce. I'm going to opine that that was the thing that was being focused on because a significant chunk of all world global shipping does travel through the Red Sea and theoretically could be targeted by the militants in the future. That said, I go to you, Trey. What do you think about this? I mean, you know, world police gonna world police. This is sort of what we do. You know, it's and it's kind of like the American overly militarized police that we have. They got all these shiny toys. They're gonna look for any excuse to use them. You know what I mean? You guys need to. Sympathize with that a little bit. It's like you get a new power tool or something. You kind of start wanting to break something just so you have an excuse to use it, you know. And I feel like the the DOD is generally like that. And also, just as a father of twain boys, I've been wondering how long it would take us to start our next twenty year quagmire in the <laughs> Middle East, so that you know that won't keep me up at night at all. I mean, no, I'm not looking forward to any. Uh, you know, another war, especially of the uh, third world variety uh, or anything like the third world war. That didn't work. That's not like I meant third war. You guys know what I mean. World War Three. I don't want You don't that. want to be pulled into World War Three, I guess. World War Three, whether or not it takes place also in the third world. I got mixed up there. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'm not, uh, I don't, I'm not feeling overly good about any of this or the direction of it. But also, correct me if I'm wrong, these types of like uh, military operations, in the Middle East and stuff, speaking of our last quagmire, we've been doing things of this nature for like quite a while now, right? I mean, we're always, you know, we always got SEAL teams over there doing something. We're always getting up in somebody else's business, inserting mm -hmm. ourselves. I mean, it's like I said, world police going to world police. So maybe fingers crossed it won't necessarily escalate to the end times. I guess we'll all find out. Francesca? <laughs> uh, yes, I'll take it away uh, till the end times. No, I, I think, uh, as you said, world police gonna world police. And we all know that cops get way more incensed when a, the, a store window is broken or a Louis Vuitton is raided than, you know, when 
black people are gunned down by their own forces. So again, this is in defense of money, this is shipping, this is commerce. Meanwhile, 23,000 Palestinians can be murdered by Israel and the United States will keep on funding it. More and more weapons, let's go. Because those those bodies, those babies, come on now, those babies aren't transferring, I don't know, iPhones through the Red Sea and other crap like that. So it is so clear what matters to the United States and when we'll get involved. The other thing I'm gonna say is, um, way to go Saudi Arabia, man. I mean, Saudi Arabia has been fighting a war in the Houthis for many, many years. The United States has been fully funding it, uh, leading to starvation in Yemen. And and so now they've successfully brought us into a full-blown war, no proxy necessary. Iran is obviously is like, Iran is the ultimate goal and Israel and Saudi have been so excited to get the United States on the Houthis tail and also trying to go after Iran. Israel has been trying to get mm-hmm. the United States in a hot war with Iran for so long. And man, oh man, we are closer to it than than we have been in a long time. Now, I, I hear both of your fears and I know what you're worried about us getting pulled into another like Iraq or Afghanistan or something like that. but. Look, that was obviously a thing of politicians and media that time around. This time around, far more measured response by the media. I tuned in to CNN and MSNBC, and they had multiple former military leaders saying that this is a good start, but something's gonna need to be done about Iran. I swear to God, immediately they're rushing to this isn't enough. Go for Iran. I cannot believe it. Right. Well, that's it. Warhawk's gonna Warhawk too. You know, I mean, that's the corollary. Yep. Always gonna have those people. Um, as I said, there are critics of uh, President Biden's action. Uh, Congressman Ro Khanna, who I have had on the damage report many times over the past few years to talk about the Saudi war on Yemen, says that these strikes are unconstitutional. Uh, for over a month, he consulted an international coalition to plan them, but never came to Congress to seek authorization as required by Article 1 of the Constitution. That is true, but it's just the Constitution. Come on, it's not like Biden has ever pitched himself as a defender of the Constitution. Come on, Rokana. But anyway, Mike Lee agreed with him. So they have often worked together, Rokana and Mike Lee, to try to get the War Powers Act to have some actual teeth. He says that the Constitution matters regardless of party affiliation. Pramila Jayapal and Mark Pocan of the Congressional Progressive Caucus said it's an unacceptable violation of the Constitution. But that said, not everyone's mad. Uh, Lindsey Graham, Mike Johnson, and Mitch McConnell are all speaking Biden's praises. Oh, so he's got that going for him as he launches this general election campaign. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Anyway, why don't we turn to, no, it's not gonna be lighter, but we're gonna turn to other news. Whenever you're ready, let's launch into this horror. But here is Roger Stone speaking to his associate Sal Greco at Cafe Europa in Fort Lauderdale weeks before the 2020 election. If he's there, go find Swalwa and get this over with. It's time to do it. Then we'll see how brave the rest of them are. So we had learned earlier this week that Mediate had gotten these tapes of Roger Stone plotting the assassination of multiple Democrats before the 2020 election. He had responded to that news saying, "Oh yeah, where's the tapes? You don't got any tapes. I don't hear any tapes. Well, the tapes are out." And so, what does he say to that? He's just he's claiming that it's AI generated and that's fake. Um, obviously, every time he's on audio or videotape calling for the murder of his political opponents, and I'm starting to forget some of those instances now, he has claimed that it's AI in every case. And I'm glad that we have the tape. I'm glad that Mediate got it and that they released it. Um, I particularly like it because you've got him talking about how after they've assassinated a few people, we'll see how brave the others are. He's in a cafe plotting for other men to kill people he doesn't like. And he's talking about bravery as if other people are weaklings and cowards. But anyway, I don't know if anything is gonna come of this. Trey, I go to you for your commentary. This is obviously a longtime ally of Donald Trump who could well be involved right. in his administration next time around. 
I just love that picture that you guys have with that with that quote, which is the picture I've seen on the articles and stuff of him too, with those like round sunglasses. I just I like his dedication to being like comically villainous looking. Yeah, like that. Like he always looks like that. He looks like he should be like dipping tunes in acid in the mm-hmm. Roger Rabbit movie or something like that. He looks mm-hmm. like that guy. He just looks <laughs> it looks like he haunts the nightmares of all 90s kids everywhere. So it makes sense that he acts the way he does. There's also we've had those tapes for forever of him at the the morning of January 6th, walking around, being like, I don't even care about the vote, like the vote to certify or whatever. He's like, forget the vote. Let's just get straight to the violence. That's what I want. When you start cracking heads and smashing pumpkins, whatever this stuff. And then he like ran away with his tail between his legs when, when you know, when st- stuff really kicked up after that. So it's just like, it's just who he is. Also, I, I don't know if you mentioned it or not, but in this tape where he's saying all this, he was saying it to a guy who was an NYPD cop also, yeah. who was like a buddy of his. So that's also very much checks out and tracks. I guess that guy's since been kicked off the force, but still, yes, it's all yeah. it's all very 2024, uh, ain't that America sort of thing. But um, uh, what I'm trying to tell myself is that Roger Stone is just, is just who he is. He says this type of thing all the time. It doesn't mean he won't do it. But, you know, again, it's just your classic... Uh, classic over-the-top villain character, and this is what they do. Yeah, I mean, dude is a thug. Like, Mm -hmm. he's been a thug. Like, his whole MO has been like, oh, I'll get the ground troops, I'll get the brown shirts to support your non-democratic fascist takeover. Like, he helped with the Brooks Brothers riot in 2000, right? He, It's all about, which supported George W. Bush in Florida, like, um, to stop the recount or whatever. He's like, I will lead the, I mean, I'm not gonna lead them. I'm gonna be in a pinstripe striped suit smoking a cigar. Yes, looking like a Batman villain in the background. Mm-hmm. But that's what he wants to do. And he's he's like tossing with the Proud Boys and whatnot. This is wild. This is truly wild. And yet he is advisor to the front runner for 2024. And we're just mm-hmm. like, yep, uh-huh. Well, let's keep going. Iowa caucuses on Monday. Yeah, it still blows my mind. It will never not blow my mind, John. That blows my mind, and I would love for a journalist. You know, I would say maybe one of the journalists who did the town hall with Trump theoretically could have done this, but of course. They decide this whole town hall that they did with him was just them bowing down to Trump. There were no tough questions. Uh, ask Trump the question you always have to ask him: uh, Do you denounce Roger Stone for calling for the assassination of multiple Democrats? It's pointless. He's not going to. He's just going to evade and slip and slide, and America will descend just a little bit farther into the bottom of the barrel. Um, but I think it is. I, I think it should be a requirement for journalists to at least go through the motions in that regard. Mm-hmm. Anyway, also I, I love, and I'm glad Trey that you were focusing on the fact that it was Sal Greco was a NYPD officer. Like, you know how little you had to do in New York to be considered suspicious from the point of view of the NYPD. Right. You've got a guy across the table from you saying he wants to assassinate politicians. Nothing, no obligation to do anything about it. Maybe get involved, honestly. Mm-hmm. And by the way, while uh, Roger Stone is lying and saying that this is AI, uh, Greco's not denying that this conversation happened, and they have multiple other sources. So it 100% happened. Take it to the bank. Anyway, with that said, we do need to take our second break of the hour. But when we come back, what will the future of comedy be? And will there be a place for humans in it? We'll have that more after this. Welcome back everyone to what remains of the Young Turks Power Panel. We are going to finally lighten things up for the most part. Buckle up as we launch into this. There's one line of work that is most threatened by AI one job that is most likely to be completely erased because of artificial intelligence. Stand up comedy. I know what all the stand-up comics across the globe are saying right now. I'm an artist and my art form is too creative, too nuanced, too subtle to be replicated by a machine. No computer program can tell a fart joke as good as me. 
Now that might have sounded like George Carlin, but it is not actually George Carlin. It's an excerpt from a one hour special called I'm Glad I'm Dead, which is the work of Dudesy. Dudesy is both an AI program which produced that George Carlin-esque thing. And also the name of a podcast hosted by Will Sasso of Mad TV and novelist Chad Kultgen. We wanna give you a little bit more of the special, take a look at this. There you have it, stand up comedy is dead. Literally, I might be the first stand-up comic to be brought back from the dead by AI, but I certainly won't be the last. Richard Pryor, Joan Rivers, Bill Hicks, Robin Williams, Dick Gregory, Andy Kaufman, Moms Mabley, Sam Kinison, everybody's coming back. And we're all gonna have our own 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year streams commenting on everything that's happening in the world as it happens. AI-resurrected stand-up comedians are gonna be the news anchors of the next decade. Which, now that I think of it, means news anchors are probably out of a job too. I wanted to leave that section in so that I'm not the only person or the panel who's not terrified of the future. I'm gonna go directly to you, Francesca. What do you think about this special and about the potential of AI to replace human comedians? Yeah, it's just like George Carlin, except it doesn't sound really anything like him and it's painfully unfunny and says something <laughs> completely counter to what George Carlin would actually say. Oh, I'm relishing in the fact that I'm going to displace a bunch of comedians and and news anchors because it's all gonna be dead comics. Of course, George Carlin would not be on the side of the robots should he be alive today. I think this thing is incredibly sick and super twisted and guess what? And this is news for Trey, myself and other comics out there, anyone wants to do this. AI can't do jokes, they just can't actually. Like, first of all, number one, AI is all what we feed it. And number two, I've spoken with a Google, like a Google AI developer and he was like, you know what the one thing we haven't cracked is? Jokes, we can't teach these bots to have senses of humor. Yes, cuz they're robots, Oh my God. But then again, well, Trey, probably better than some, some comics we've seen, you know? I Trey, mean, I'm gonna go to you in just one sec. What you just laid out is why AI couldn't be a good comedian. You have not yet proven a case for why it couldn't be a right wing comedian. Uh, hey, yes. I think hey. you probably handled most Gutfeld. of that. Look out. Trey, what do, you, what do you think? I mean, you know, seeing as how I've only been on the scene for whatever, seven or so years, I relatively just got here, I do expect to be forced out and annihilated by robots in the near future just because that's how <laughs> my personality is. But I, but, Objectively, or re really, I agree with Francesca because I mean, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten on there. I bet a lot of us have. I've gotten on there and toyed with it. You know, if I asked Chat GPT, you know, who Trey Crowder is, and it gets it right. He's a comedian who's, you know, stupid hillbilly, but uses big words. Whatever, he was correct. <laughs> and then I was like, <laughs> and then I said, you know, tell me a joke in the style of Trey Crowder, and it came back with it was, it was like, oh god, why did the, why did the liberal chicken cross the road? <laughs> To get to the protest, y'all, right? And that was it. It made me want to kill myself. But Solid. Uh, you should I know, right? I know. That. sounds just like me. I know. But anyway, uh, so like the other part. So I agree with what Francesca said. I don't think it's there yet. I'm not discounting the possibility that it could get there because of how exponentially technology advances and whatnot. That part freaks me out. I do not think it's there yet. I think this special is kind of proof of that because I agree with what she said about it too. The only other thing that I'll say about it is the one thing that gives me some solace is I think that any comedian would tell you it's great to listen to uh, specials on the radio or, or whatever or watch them on your TV and, and all that. But at the end of the day, like stand up, everybody knows who likes it or does it. Stand up is best physically in the room yeah. with other yeah. people and the comedian at the club or at the theater or whatever with everybody in the same room together. And I don't know, I guess with holograms or something, we could get there eventually. But I think that is the main thing to me that'll keep this from, you know, happening in the near future. Cause Although I, I, just, I don't see that. Matt Reif is probably AI, right, Trey? <laughs> yeah, I suppose it could be. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if AI would have done that domestic abuse joke or not. So but either way. <laughs> They usually have bigger I would have opened with a chicken joke. on there.
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to give uh, statements from Kelly Carlin, uh, daughter of George Carlin, who said, My statement regarding the AI generated special. My dad spent a lifetime perfecting his craft from his very human life, brain, and imagination. No machine will ever replace his genius. These AI generated products are clever attempts at trying to recreate a mind that will never exist again. Let's let the artist's work speak for itself. Humans are so afraid of the void that we can't let what has fallen into it stay there. She clarified that there was no permission granted by the Carlin family for this to be done. And then concludes with, here's an idea. How about we get some actual living human comedians to listen to? But if you want to listen to the genuine George Carlin, he has 14 specials that you can find anywhere. She went on to tag Zelda Williams and Melissa Rivers, daughters of Robin Williams and Joan Rivers, and said, we should talk, they're coming for you next, which they 100% are. I don't even I mean, dudesy or whatever, but yeah, it, like they're they're coming for every area. Uh, Valve, which controls Steam, which is the largest digital distribution platform for games, uh, is now allowing AI-powered games uh, on their platform. Um, there's a very popular hit video game that uses AI-generated voices. SAG-AFTRA is penning a deal with a voice generation studio that uses AI. Uh, journalist Jeff Jarvis testified before the U.S. Senate about the need to protect the rights of AI journalists. It, I mean, look, will they be good? Will they be funny? Maybe not, but there's a lot of corporations that are much more interested in replacing humans than producing good stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I, I remain concerned. But hopefully, even if there's a flood of terrible comedians on digital platforms, Francesca, we will always have artisanal comedy from people like you and Trey in physical form. Yeah, there already is a flood of yeah, bad comedians yeah. on streaming yeah. platforms. You can see <laughs> yeah. them all the time. John, John, the one thing I want to say, because we talk about AI a lot, but I was learning from my podcast, Habituation Room, where I had Paris Marks on, that AI also is incredibly resource intensive when it comes to mm -hmm. fresh water, electricity, um, things to cool down these mass processing centers. We think that there, it's like there's no footprint. No, no, it's exactly like crypto. To mine crypto is incredibly intensive. Same thing with these AI generated BS. That again, guys, it's just someone getting high in their room writing down ideas. Trey, you know, it's a dude with a mustache just riffing. <laughs> like, we don't need a lot, also. You can really, I mean, you probably have to pay AI more than you pay an average stand up comic to do <laughs> comedy. Let's be honest. Generally speaking, yeah. The other thing that I wonder this Carlin special, we're talking about it. Kelly addressed it. It got shared around and whatever. But I'm probably just because of what the thing that it is, right? It's a AI generated George Carlin special. And everybody said, this is wild, right? Like, meaning I don't think people were watching this as a comedy special and like loving it in that context, the way that they act like George Carlin's actual specials. And I do think that that distinction matters too. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. at a certain point, just the novelty mm -hmm. aspect of it will wear off. And then also, I'm too computer dumb to speak intelligently about this. But as I understand it, Chat GPT has somehow like gotten worse progressively, and it, yes. you know, it, it, like it's deteriorating actually. So that's another part of it too. Like there are things you can tell yourself if you're threatened by these things that can make you feel better, and you know, I, land on okay, we're not quite there yet. We still got some time left at least. Maybe in that way, ChatGPT actually could make for a good comedian because I've noticed that a lot of comedians were really good in the 90s and the aughts, yeah. and now they're like super focused on what you can and cannot say, and they're kind of falling apart. Well, he blew, ChatGPT anyway. blew up and then fell off, and that does seem to be the trajectory. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is unfortunate all the time we have. Trey, where can people follow you? Uh, on any of your socials, it's just Trey Crowder. My name T R A E Crowder, uh, and then you can go to TreyCrowder.com and check out my tour dates. I'll be in Charlottesville, uh, Orlando, Tampa, DC, Virginia, a bunch of places coming up. So come see me, TreyCrowder.com, and thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Awesome, and uh, Francesca. Yeah, yeah. Um, come see me in San Francisco. I'll be uh, with Emma Vigland of the Majority Report, formerly TYT, and Miles Gray of the Daily Zeitgeist on Sunday, January 28th at the Gateway Theater. It's part of SF Sketchfest. Tickets are selling really, really fast. Also, I'll do stand. I'm doing stand up. I'll do stand up. I'm doing stand up Saturday. So come see me Saturday and Sunday. Saturday is a much smaller venue, Lost Church in San Francisco. Get tickets at SF Sketchfest, and I hope to see you guys there. Everyone go check both of them out while human comedy is still legal. That is all the time we have for the first hour of the show. But David Schuster, Wazni Lambre uh, will be here for the second hour. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.